Destination Medicine is a collaborative initiative of regional training hubs. With first-hand lessons learned from those who have gone before, this podcast is designed to assist and inspire anyone interested in pursuing a medical career in rural and regional Australia. Welcome to Destination Medicine. I'm Nicole Goodman. At just eight years old, Dr. Danielle Winch confidently told her class that she intended to become a psychiatrist. She says that even at that age, she was fascinated with how a mind could become broken and what could be done to fix it. Dr. Winch now says she's living her dream, working with elderly psychiatric patients around her base at Orange in New South Wales. She's fallen in love with the regional lifestyle and says working outside the city has allowed her to progress more rapidly. Danielle talks to Jeff Waters about her career and gives some sage advice for young doctors. But she starts by recounting the story of her ambitious eight-year-old self. I was about eight years old. And we were sitting in a circle in my primary school class and going around asking what we wanted to be. And it sort of occurred like this epiphany that I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And How does an eight-year-old know what a psychiatrist does? <laughs> I know. I had, a, um, I had an avid reading, almost a reading addiction, I suppose, at that age. I read every book in my primary school library. And the thing that always fascinated me in the books was the mad characters. And I became quite fixated on how... Does a mind, something so intangible as a mind, how does that get broken? How do you break a mind? And the passion started from there. Well, more to the point, how do you fix one? Well, that became the second question. The idea of fixing an intangible broken thing, uh, that occurred a bit later on in life, but I was so fascinated by how it got broken in the first place. And I have to say that's still a big part of the passion, like the fixing it, a bit more scientific, a bit more formulaic, but still understanding how it got broken still remains probably the bigger passion for me, even after all this time. More specifically, though, you wanted to be a paediatric psychiatrist. Is that true? Yeah, and I think that related to my developmental stage at the time of just being a child myself, because children are inherently self-referential. But I think as I got older, it changed a little bit. And to be honest, even though I knew starting medicine that I wanted to be a psychiatrist and the more I did of medicine, the more I realized that is definitely what I want to do. I had it in my head when I started training that I wanted to be a consultation liaison psychiatrist because that's where all the trendy people were. And I fancied myself as kind of trendy and philosophical and pretentious and I thought that's where I belonged. (laughs) But one of the things you sort of learn as you go through training is that part of the choice of your job is going to be about how interested you are in the content, but the other part is going to be what suits your temperament. And it turns out that consultation liaison psychiatry did not suit my temperament. It was like being on call all day and it felt very chaotic and uncontained for me. And similarly, the way I had thought at one point that I wanted to work with children It turned out that working with children was too emotionally distressing for me because I have been a child and therefore my capacity to imagine their lived experience was a bit too intense to ensure that my boundaries stayed intact. So I actually ended up being an old age psychiatrist and if you had told me that at the start of my training, I would have laughed at you. But 
there's this beautiful thing with older people where all change happens slowly. So you've got time to mull and time to think, which suits my temperament. And you get these wonderful, rich life stories, which also suits me. And I've never been an older person. So while I can imagine what it might be like for them, it doesn't push any personal buttons for me and allows me that kind of critical distance to be able to help without becoming too affected myself. Just going back a bit, how long did it take you to decide that paediatric psychology wasn't for you? And what level of experience did you have with the kids? It was quite early. We do six-month rotations in psychiatry and it probably was only a few weeks into the rotation where I realised that I was probably in trouble here Mm. because it was affecting me more than anything else had up until that point and probably more than it should for me to have a healthy balance in my career. What sort of things disturbed you about it? The biggest thing for me was disclosures of abuse, particularly sexual violence. I found the sheer number of those I got because uh, even though you can't see me, when I was a trainee, I looked kind of cool when I was younger. And I went on to the child and adolescent unit and, you know, I had a nose ring and a lip ring and I had short, funky hair. And so all the children looked at me as somebody that they could relate to and share with and trust. And so I got this disproportionate numbers of disclosures of sexual violence and abuse and mistreatment. And it was ravaging for me, just very destructive. So you're in a happier place now, which is great. (laughs) Can you please describe your role to me? So one of the real joys of working in the country, as I do, because I work in Orange, in New South Wales, so I work rurally. And one of the real joys of that is I got my dream job straight out of training. This is my sixth year in it and it's fantastic. And I do 0.6, so three days a week as a staff specialist in an old age psychiatrist and I am a quintessential bush doctor in that regard. So I'm very rarely in the same place two consecutive days. So I do a bit of time on the hospital ward And I cover a very large geographical catchment of community work and I do outreach to fairly remote areas. So I've become a quintessential bush doctor, single-handedly trying to improve the dignity and mental health of the older people of the Central West. (laughs) (laughs) It feels crusady when you get on the road to go and save some minds. (laughs) You sound like a superhero. you feel like a superhero working with older people in psychiatry because they get really, really sick, like very biologically sick, and you can make them really better again and often really, really easily. And the rewards of it are astounding. So you do, you feel a bit like you're a superhero because you've you've kind of saved them. So do you spend a lot of time out in the countryside? I do, I do. Sometimes I'm held up for clinics because cattle are crossing the road and I will take a photo of that and text it to the case manager saying, I've been held up in traffic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So apart from the visits, what does the rest of your role entail? Well, I work in so many different settings. So I visit nursing homes and do education and advocacy there. I inreach into general medical settings and I do advocacy, treatment and support in situ for some of the smaller hospitals. I do inpatient work. I've even got a few patients that I see for primarily psychotherapy type things, which is a talking type treatments. I really 
do a lot of things. And in addition to that, I've got my point four position working for the University of Sydney and I get to do my teaching, which is another big passion of mine. So I get a very good mix, I think. Never in the same place, never doing the same thing, lots of variety, lots of balance. Danielle, if you'd taken up a job in the city, do you think you'd have the same level of experience or be in the same sort of role? Lord, you know. (laughs) A lot of people who choose to work in the big cities have to wait quite a long time for their dream job to come up. And to be as well positioned as I am, it might have taken me probably a decade or so to achieve this because those jobs relative to the population and relative to the people competing for them, they're quite scant on the ground. But out here, there were meaningful gaps that I could fill. There was nobody doing the teaching role. It sounds quite a challenge. Was it ever intimidating? I'm not easily intimidated. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you mentioned earlier the joys of working in the country. Could you please elaborate on that? Besides getting this terrific job that you wouldn't have gotten in the city, what other joys are there of living where you are in Orange? So I started out my JMO years in a big city hospital and I always found it very impersonal. There was a lot of anonymity. Nobody really knew who you were. There was no accountability among colleagues and things like that. So I was actually sent out to Orange really in my second year. It's an interesting story actually. At the end of internship, the JMO coordinator at the hospital sent out these survey sheets about where your future career was heading so that they could fit the resident level jobs to your preferences. And the sheet of paper that she sent out had no box for psychiatry. Everything else was mentioned, nothing for psychiatry. So I wrote psychiatry, drew a little box, ticked it and put a few underlines (laughs) and exclamation points for emphasis as I am wont to do. (laughs) And she rang me and said, I have grave concerns about your choice of future career. Why? I know. This is part of the thing. There is still quite a lot of stigma around practising psychiatry. So she said, because I have grave concerns about your career, I'm going to give you two psychiatry terms. I'm going to send you to the country for one. And I got out to the country and I was like, wow, this is a small group of doctors. They care about each other and they help each other out and they know who each other is and doctors in different towns will call each other directly because they all know each other and there's good collaboration and camaraderie out here and it was such a profound change for me that I was like this is how I work best being around people with shared goals collaborating this is what works for me and I have to say that I had a lot of the biases perhaps that a lot of city people have about what the country is going to be like and was crying driving down my driveway to go out and do this term in the country I want to go to the country but then I got here I was like oh this is quite posh country actually I can do posh country that's fine it's quite gentrified what do you mean by posh we have wineries and fine dining and Bell Shakespeare come here and we have a conservatory of music and it's got the best bits of the city but none of the terrible bits of traffic and not being able to park and crowded supermarkets and suburban incursions. And it's just got a better balance for me. When you did your fellowship, did you have other options and how did you choose between them? Yes. Well, the hospital that I had been a student at and a JMO at were rather keen to retain me. And I think they were quite close to begging at one point for me to stay because I'd also been doing some research with them. 
So there were other options for training, but I chose to do all of my training in Orange. And for psychiatry, that's quite good because the hospital out here in Orange is probably still the biggest one in the state, I think. So you have all of the requirements for training that you can meet on one site. And so it provides this quite supportive environment for you to get through your training. So there were certainly other options, but I think after being out here, it suited me. I did have this idea for a long time that I might want to live and work in the UK. And so I got myself a training job in the UK in my first year of training and had intended to go and work there for a year to try it out. But after nine months working in the NHS, I worked out that that was also not for me. And I had this lovely little haven in central west New South Wales that I could go back to where I was happy. And so I think by process of elimination, I worked in big cities in Australia and wasn't as happy. I worked in another country and wasn't as happy. And when I came back from the UK to Orange, it felt like coming home. And now you are home. What are the challenges of doing senior psychiatry particularly? Yeah, so regardless of where you are in the health system, I think if you work with the elderly, one of the biggest problems that you come up against is that their health system is inherently ageist. And it's not an intentional thing. I don't think I have enough faith in my colleagues to think of this as a blind spot, but the health service is profoundly ageist. And when you think about some of the medical conditions that older people face, If there was a similar condition in children that had the same morbidity and mortality and risk to well-being, but it was in a child, it would be taken so seriously. I mean, there'd be fundraisers. But when it comes to older people, even quite serious conditions are just not treated with patience and dignity and care or even sometimes taken very seriously. I do think that anyone who works with the elderly becomes accustomed to having to give a high level of advocacy, and that can feel kind of adversarial at times. So I think that suits me quite well because I do have a big streak of my personality that is around social justice and equity. So I think it's very natural for me to have a role that is high in advocacy. But like all personality features, it's a double-edged sword, and it does mean that I spend a lot of my career feeling quite angry at the system, and that's something that I'm always actively managing as part of my burnout management plan. (laughs) And what advice would you have for someone coming through who's considering psychiatry? My advice generally, because I do encounter people coming through, I teach medical students, I supervise trainees, so I do have people coming through. The biggest piece of general advice that I can give is that whatever you do in medicine, you have to love what you do because you won't always love your job. And I clarify this by saying what I do is I restore the dignity, mental health, well-being, sanity of older people. And I love that. That is rewarding. But my job also includes aspects where I am part of a health system and there are workplace politics and there are lack of resources and there are long hours and there are other things. So the thing that allows you to survive your job is loving what you do. So whatever it is in medicine, you should love what you do. The second piece of advice that I give people is to be aware of your temperament and what is going to suit your temperament in training because not all jobs are going to suit 
your temperament. So are you someone who likes fast-paced work and likes to have a lot of things on the go at the same time? Are you someone that requires time to mull things over and choosing jobs that are going to better suit your temperament will also ensure that you can manage your burnout and things like that better. There is a third piece of advice I also often give, which is understand what motivates you as a person. So for me, I'm what they call a reward-dependent person. So for me, the warm and fuzzies of what I do is the thing that keeps me coming back and that gives me my satisfaction. So think about what it is that motivates you so that you'll get more feedback from whatever job you do that's going to sustain you and help you manage your burnout so you can have a long and fulfilling career. Dr. Danielle Winch, a specialist psychiatrist now working at Orange Health Service. This is Destination Medicine. Thanks for listening. Regional training hubs are supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Program.